The Courage to Lead, episode 206. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Aaron Bowdy. Aaron is an Enneagram expert, a leadership coach, and a behaviorist who spent more than 20 years in director positions and in support of leaders who are ready to up-level their business, teams, and ultimately their lives. She's been studying and working in the field of behavior change for over 20 years. Erin has a bachelor's degree in human development, a master of public health, and is finishing her PhD in industrial and organizational psychology with a focus on personality as a framework for coaching and development. Erin has been studying and using the Enneagram for 12 years and is a certified Enneagram teacher and trainer, as well as an accredited Enneagram professional from the International Enneagram Association. Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. That's a mouthful. <laughs> it is a mouthful. Enneagram. But you know what? I, all of these tests have always kind of surprised me. You take the test and you think, ah, whatever, right? But then you read the results and go, holy cow, that sounds just <laughs> like me. And I took the Enneagram a year or so ago. And I'm still surprised today reading through it that it is very close. I may not agree with everything in there, but it's so sure, close. to sure. It's like... Were they looking over my shoulder? Have they been spying on me the entire time? Yes, I feel the same way. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and I want to get into that. I want to, I'll actually bring mine up and we'll talk about it a little bit. Um, we'll talk about how you got started, who you work with, how you help them, how Enneagram helps businesses mm -hmm. and business owners. Um, but before we get started, I've got some questions that I'd like to ask each one of my guests. Now, these are questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good <laughs> enough for my guests. So Aaron, if you're ready, 10 simple questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Oh, man. See, now here's a good indicator of my personality. I struggle to narrow things down. Um, I, I probably would say awesome. Okay. What is your <laughs> least favorite word? Uh, no. What turns you on? Uh, stimulating conversation. Excellent. What turns you off? Uh, prejudice. Good job. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, the uh, a mountain lake, the, the sort of waves over the rocks. Nice. And what sound or noise do you hate? Um, whining children. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, so I feel like I can say that. Absolutely. All right. What is your favorite curse word? Um, probably, probably shit, honestly. The, you know, <laughs> it's the easiest, fastest word. <laughs> All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? In theory or in practice? <laughs> um, I'll leave that to you. Uh, okay. So in a dream world, which 
you know, is truly a dream world. Um, a professional dancer. Nice. Okay. What, prof- what about in, in real world? In real world? Yeah. Um, I really love my job. So I think if I were to do anything, it might be to substitute teach in the public schools um, because they're, you know, very understaffed at this point. And I think that would be um, a fun thing to sort of dabble in, but not commit to. They're understaffed and underpaid. Yes. All of that is true. Absolutely. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Um, probably anything frontline these days, healthcare, law enforcement, any place where we're just sort of, um, you know, beating to a pulp these folks unnecessarily. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh man, that's a loaded question. Um, welcome. <laughs> You're in the right place. <laughs> yeah, anything short of that would probably be concerning. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For me, it would be the, the other line right. is over there. <laughs> How did you get here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you took a wrong turn. All right, Aaron, we're going to come back and talk about how you got your start, how you got involved in Enneagram and um, what it took to get there, who you work with, how you help them, and at some point transition into courage and leadership. All right. Sounds good. Cool. All right. Listeners, we'll talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Aaron Bowdy. Aaron, thanks again for taking time out of your busy, busy day uh, to be with us. So with everything you have going on, how do you have time to complete a PhD? <laughs> well, it's slow. And I think that's part of the deconditioning work I do around habits, right? I'm, I definitely am one of those people that was a successful academic. I did well in high school. I did well in college. I did well in graduate school. You know, learning sort of came easy for me. And so to, to decide to get a PhD with two young kids, you know, in my late 30s, Um, I've been working on it for about four and a half years at this point. I had to do two things. I had to break up with two habits. One, I had to break up with the habit of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Not every class was I going to soar through it with an A plus, right? Um, I got a handful of Bs and it was hard and good for me to recognize that perfection wasn't my pursuit in this. And then the other part of it was to do it at my pace. And so I've taken a couple of breaks. Um, My husband's been deployed a few times. He does work on the front lines of some tough stuff. Mm. And every time he's been deployed, I've taken a leave of absence and allowed myself to focus on my family and my kids and my work. And so to really 
work hard at um, reducing my desire around perfection and to show up how and when I can show up is allowing me to enter the research portion of my dissertation, which I'm really excited about. Nice. But you're right. Getting in there, if it's everything can't be perfect all the time. The, the goal is to learn the material. Mm -hmm. You may not be able to recite it back exactly, <laughs> but to learn it, right, and be able to apply that. I think that's important. Yeah. When, when did you first get interested in behavioral analysis? Um, in graduate school, actually. Um, well, may, no, probably earlier than that, undergrad. My, my bachelor's degree was in human development. And so okay. I was really fascinated by the sort of phases and developmental components from birth to death, really. I mean, we studied the whole spectrum and I was really, really fascinated. I particularly at that point in my life wanted to work with kids and like without anything, I have a very pragmatic mom. She's like, you need to be able to get a job. You know, you're not going to graduate with this bachelor's degree and find a job very easily. Um, it's, it's very broad. You need to specialize. And so at that point, I was like, okay, community behavior. That's a lot of what public health is, is community behavior. So how can I take what I know and make an impact in community health? And so I decided to pursue a degree in public health. And I focused on um, community health behaviors. And I graduated at, um, with a really incredible opportunity to work for a private for-profit rapidly growing business which I remember in defending my thesis having to defend my choice in career because mm -hmm. how dare I get this degree in community health and go work for a private sector and in my defense right remember how I said one of my words is no I don't like right. to be told no in my defense I was walking into millions of dollars of a budget to partner with research um, entities and organizations to be able to research the areas of interest I had. And I knew I would get a $20,000 budget at this community organization. So I felt like my impact was bigger. Hmm. And so I was able to take all of my community health and human development knowledge around behavioral theory into business and then learn sales and marketing and leadership development. And it became this really awesome partnership of what the external world understands about motivations and behavior and what I understood about motivations and behavior. Nice. And it ended up being the right path for me. Nice. Very cool. So I, we talk about Enneagram. That's the, mm -hmm. the, uh, program or the methodology you use, right? The tool that you use. Mm -hmm. People, listeners have probably heard about the DISC profile, Myers-Briggs, um, Berkman, Colby. There's a lot of those different tests out. Yeah. People may not have heard about Enneagram. Can you give us like a high level overview of what yeah. it is? Yeah. And so I, I was introduced to the Enneagram early in my career because I was looking for tools. I'm trained in the DISC assessment, Myers-Briggs, the color profile, all these sort of behavioral assessments where they categorize what we do into these nice, neat little bu buckets. And it helps us understand the actions we take in any given environment. The challenge with those kinds of tools is as our environment changes, our behavior changes, right? It's just an indicator of our adaptability. 
it's not really an indicator of any part of our humanity. What is sort of the motivators behind the behaviors that I learned? And so when I was introduced to the Enneagram, it sort of clicked a light for me on this is the missing information around motivation underneath behavior that allows us to sort of hit fast forward in these community or business context around meeting people's needs, right? There's a really big difference between being a perfectionist, right? That's a behavior that is learned and and reinforced and not feeling good enough and not having the ability to stop working because I don't feel good enough, right? Mm. So the difference between the behavior of perfectionism and the motivation of securing my worth and feeling safe. Interesting. So it's the the motivation behind why you do what you do. You got it. Interesting. Okay. Because um, I guess that's the thing that kind of surprised me is when I had the Enneagram done, I forget, I, it was a couple of years ago, I think I did it. It came up and it said that my body type, mm-hmm. the core emotion is anger. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not an angry person, you know? But when you start reading what it means and how it's it's can help drive some of those decisions you make and things like that. It started to make sense. Mm -hmm. That's the behavior type stuff you're talking about. Yeah. And so I can give you a quick and dirty, right? The Enneagram has nine archetypes of personality in those nine archetypes. There are three subtypes in every one. There's a fight, flight, or freeze response for every archetype. So there's actually 27 personality constructs we're dealing with, right? So it gets complicated in the typing, But the simple part of it is that the Enneagram showcases our, as humans, three centers of intelligence, the head center, the body center, and the heart center. And it teaches us the one we got good at as a kiddo, right? So I started using, I'm a head center, you're a body center. It doesn't mean I don't use those other things. I absolutely do. But when I'm in my habits, when I'm not paying attention I kind of revert back to this thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so the body centers um, include types eight, nine, and one. And they are all managing their experiences of anger, but they all do it differently. So the the eights sort of express anger, the nines repress anger, and the ones control anger. So... It, you to say, you know, I'm an angry type, but I might not express it or even know that I'm angry, right? Those mm-hmm. are real experiences where the heart centers, the two, threes, and fours are managing disconnection. I might manipulate my relationships and serve you so that you, you know, are connected with me. I might earn your connection or I might believe I'm the source of the disconnection, right? So there's this yeah. spectrum. And then the head types, the five, sixes, and sevens, are all managing their experiences of fear, of feeling incompetent. So as a type seven, I might run away from fear and go take action. Sixes might control fear by being certain. And fives might sort of withhold their fear by pulling back and protecting themselves. So Hmm. it's really just an indicator of an overused behavioral pattern. And the cool part for me about the Enneagram, especially as a behaviorist, is the work is to release that sort of habit and learn to 
use more of these things, right? To be a more embodied full human so that I'm not limited to just this fixated habit. Yeah. Interesting. So now I took this a couple of years ago. If I was to take it again, would those things change or are they pretty much set for, for the individual? Well, so there's a flaw in the te- in online testing, right? The algorithm does the best that it can to try to capture behavior and tie it to a motivation, but it's, it's complex. So there's a really good chance that you'll take an online test again and get different results. Okay. Because oftentimes what we do with the online test is give a picture of where we are today. The more work we do, the more self-awareness that we have, the more we are in therapy or somatic work or whatever it is, the hopefully the less we attach to these habits, right? And so that's the hard work of the Enneagram is the typing process and making sure what I'm connected to is really my motivation because sadly, most of us, our motivations live subconsciously. We're not aware of it. Yeah. Like so much of what we do the subconscious, right? So that's yeah. where you come in is analyzing this and kind of figuring out what's happening and maybe how to make those shifts. You got it. I am often, what I feel like is I, I shine a big old spotlight, right? And I can use all of this knowledge and expertise to just bring clarity to what's already true and help you hit fast forward on supporting those habits in a way that feels more empowering and out of choice, right? Not just out of, I've always done it this way. Very cool. And so do you uh, do these assessments or these, these tests with leaders, leadership teams, full departments? How do you, how do you work with them? Yes, 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 yes. All of the above. Um, I, I really love working with leaders. Um, I really love working with heads of teams because my goal isn't to be the solution for your team. My goal is to help you be the solution, right? As a behaviorist, I want us to cross a finish line and for you to move on from me, right? Uh, Unlike, you know, other kinds of consulting work or unlike therapy or other things where you become a long-term partner because that's the right thing. For me, it's like, I wanna teach you the skills to sort of hack your personality in a way that allows you to show up for your best self and then be able to teach other people how to do that. Now I do work with leaders who want that faster. Mm-hmm. So they're like, no, we're going to do our whole team at the same time because I want the results of the cohesiveness more quickly. But my favorite work is the sort of individual because we can just really get in there and make a really beautiful impact. Nice. But then, so as a leader, if, if you came to my company and we ran this, how does this help me either become a better leader or help build a better team? Oh, it's such a beautiful question. Because the Enneagram is so multi-layered, right? It's helping me understand my cognitive abilities, my, my, my intellect and my problem solving, but also my self-awareness. It's helping me indicate my how I emotionally regulate and what my emotional needs are, how belonging serves me. And it's giving an indicator on where and how I might take action, where and how my instinct instincts might be serving me or not serving me, and how my nervous system and my stress response get in the way of taking action, right? So there's all of this nuance that we can learn about where an individual is in their seat. 
And then we get a clear picture of how synergistic all of those individuals are together and can quickly start seeing how we're triggering each other. We don't even know that we are triggering each other in a, in a fight, flight, or freeze response, right? Because we just have different habits of problem solving. So we elevate all of that information and bring it up to the surface so that we can just be better stewards of one another. And then we can build systems and processes and support tools that look like the people on the team. Nice. Very cool. Now, I know a lot of people that, and I won't mention any names, uh, but people who do not like to take these type of tests because they're afraid mm-hmm. how the, the results or how the information is going to be used against them mm-hmm. in their job. This seems different than some of those other tests, that it, it, it can't be used as a, a club you know, to hit you with as much as it is an opportunity to, to grow. I, that is definitely how I use it. I think I have a high moral obligation around this, being careful with this tool. I can't say that every practitioner does that, right? I, I've definitely seen people weaponize the information that they learn yeah. from personality constructs there are definite environments that aren't safe for people to be vulnerable and, and to bring their full selves to, right? So we take into the, to account that this work is immensely rooted in privilege to be able to have the safety and the security to do this sort of self-awareness and presencing work. It is also why I no longer sit in a corporate seat myself because I was working for a really long time to help build leadership teams in a national organization. And you get this wide variety of people who wanted to be there, who didn't want to be there, who didn't feel safe to be there. And it made it really hard for me to do my job. Now being an independent contributor, my own boss, a consultant, the people who engage me want to be working. Right. And so we see more effective results and change. And so I think it is really important to be thoughtful around, have you cultivated a culture of safety to be yeah. able to even do this kind of work? Yeah. And yeah, building those cultures is, is I mean, that that's a whole topic on its own, right? Because <laughs> you want to build a culture where people are confident and, and comfortable enough to come up and say, I have a question, I'm concerned with this, or I disagree with this without getting clobbered, right? That's the thing about some of these tests is you're labeled you're this color, you're this attitude, you're this, you know, whatever name it is. And that kind of pigeonholes you in a company. And it's hard to break away from that. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And I think especially when the folks in charge um, feel more comfortable in a pigeonhole, right? And and that to me, it, that's why I love working with leaders is because I can understand where you're lacking in your self-management and your self-regulation we can find doorways into you being more effective for other people. But if, if we aren't self-aware, if we don't have good self-regulation techniques, so I don't know how to bring my nervous system down, if I don't know how to manage my workload, and I don't just mean like good time management, I mean the systems and the processes that serve my needs, and then I don't have good self-worth and self-love, I don't like myself very much, if I don't have these things, I sure can't build them in other people. Yeah. And so is that where you start kind of helping the leader understand where they're at and then mm-hmm. help them build the rest of the team? It's my favorite work. 
It right. is absolutely my favorite work because, and the Enneagram just allows us to hit fast forward in all of these areas and put language to why is self-awareness hard? Why do I have these responses in my nervous system? Why do I feel compelled to comply with other authorities, right? There's lots of people who just do what other people tell them and work in systems that don't serve them, right? So we can get in all of this and sort of problem solve and hack in a way that leads to the ability to just have self-love and self-worth. I can't have those things if I don't know how to manage self-love. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's like yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs for leaders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like you said, understanding the motivation behind, you know, cause we see people do things all the time. And you're thinking to yourself, how did that even make sense to you? You know, mm-hmm. but in their world, that made total sense. And they could probably explain to you why they did what they did. This kind of helps, I guess, a little bit to understand mm-hmm. what those, those motivators are. And then, then you help them work to change those motivators. Is that Or we work to lean into them and to address them and to call them forward and to make them a part of, you know, how I, how I'm centrally leading or guiding our, our motivators, our inherent needs aren't bad. They're just often not clear. And then we develop all this protection outside of it, right? Somebody who gets big or loud or yells in a boardroom or at their staff, you know, probably has a trigger around not being heard, not being seen, not being valued uh, around fighting, you know, or, or getting ahead of criticism, right? And so if we can help them understand how their relationship to being criticized or not feeling good enough, mm. you know, sort of is an indicator to when they feel like they've told their team something 10 times and they're not listening and they lose their top we can create some strategies that help them not lose their top, you know? <laughs> nice. Very cool. So let's talk about courage. So we talk yeah. about um, where do you find the courage to walk away from the nine to five to create your own success? Where do you find the courage to overcome those setbacks, like the divorce, the bankruptcy, illnesses, things like that? Um, how about you? Where did you find the courage to to step out and say, this is what I want to do rather than working for somebody else and, and, you know, the typical nine to five, where did you say, Hey, this is, this is where I want to be. I can't take credit for it. Um, I wish I could, I, I wish it was some, this like conscious self-aware forethought. Um, but I was a mom of a brand new baby and had a two-year-old daughter who was showing some really, really, really dangerous and challenging behaviors. Mm. And turns out after lots and lots and lots of evaluations and doctors and MRIs and all these things, we found out that she was on the autism spectrum Mm. and had um, very low regard for her safety. And so she'd get hurt all the time. She'd hurt herself, all this stuff. And I was running three divisions of a national health system. I had a a large team and I had a newborn and a a high needs kid. And I had to pick, I had to pick um, who did I want to be in this world? And as much as my competent self wanted to stay working, my heart said I had to be 
a mom. And so I ended up going part-time. I stepped down from my job. I turned into a project management role. I went part-time and I, I had major rumblings with my ego. And I was like, I'm not going to be relevant. I'm going to have a hard time stepping back into a corporate career that I've worked so hard for. I better go get my PhD. And so that's what prompted me to start school. And about two years into school, um, I had built a fully functioning um, business, working in flexible hours around my kids and allowing me to be primary for them. And I was like, I don't need this degree. And this, I don't want to go back to a corporate life. This is everything I could ever ask for. But I'm a finisher, so I'm finishing it because there's, <laughs> there's, you know, benefit in this, and I, mm-hmm. there will be things that I will be grateful for. Um, but I, I can't say that I chose this consciously, but now I am consciously curating it. Good, that's awesome. Do you have anybody in your family that's an entrepreneur that you kind of picked up this, this <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit from? No, but my mother is amazing. Um, My mother has been an inspiration and I could get emotional talking about this. Um, She was a single mom, uh, wasn't able to graduate college and worked her tail off. And by the time she retired, she was an executive vice president of like a $6 billion company. Um, And so she just showed me what hard work and perseverance and focus and dedication look like in real life. And I was able to pull that alongside my intention to create a very present um, relationship with my husband and my kids. And I figured there's a way to do a little of both. I won't ever be her, right? Um, but I, I am figuring out that there's a way for me to make an impact and be productive and, and you know, have my work feel purposeful and still be able to turn around and be mom uh, part of the day. Nice. Very cool. So the leaders that you work with, <clears throat> what, do you, what are they missing or what are they what are they struggling with? Is it the communication piece of, of leadership? Is it the building the team and the unity part? What, what is it they're, they're working on? I love this question. And I wish more people asked that question because what we are doing so often in leadership development is teaching the tactical skills. We're giving you good communication scripts or frameworks or team dynamics. And what we aren't doing is teaching the embodiment skills. What does it take for me to manage me, right? Why does every time this person asks me for this thing, I get mad? Why, you know, do I avoid or resist working here or solving this problem? And most of that is an integrative embodied response. It has to do with how I'm managing the stressors and the agitators that come from my personality and behavior change is hard because behavior change in and of itself increases our stress response. So our old habit gets agitated as a way to protect us because we say, hey, oh, Aaron, this is scary. You want to change. This is dangerous, right? My body actually feels like it's dangerous. And so the work to go from old habit to new habit comes by the way of my body 
And if we aren't supporting this integrated whole self, you're just going to keep turning new behavior, new behavior, and not actually solve the problem. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah. So you said you had big teams when you were working corporate American stuff. Um, if I was to bump into any of those folks right now and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I think you'd get two responses from my first team and my second team. In my first job, um, I had a, a really strong team whom felt seen and appreciated by me, but they could experience my limitations, my own um, insecurities and the devaluing of my worth where I struggled to go fight for what was good for our team out into the organization, right? So I was mm. good at looking down and creating this really tight-knit experience, but it didn't perpetuate outside. Whereas shifting jobs, I made a conscious choice to go into this team with the strength and to do the work I needed to do to protect them, but also lead up. Uh, and so I think you would get very different experiences from folks who are like, oh, yeah, she did fight for us and, you know, go to the mat for us where, you know, my first team would say she was proud. She was a great boss, but she didn't protect us from much. <laughs> and I've worked for both types of, of leaders or managers, right, where the one is just try to keep everything as, as safe as possible over here. And then the other mm -hmm. one that's going out and looking for opportunities to promote from within and, and, and build teams. So that is growth. That's good. Yeah. The flip had to happen in me. I had to be okay with all of the things that I was worried about rejection, not being liked, you know, risk of being wrong or bad or whatever the story I told myself. Um, I had to be okay with that. Yeah. Wow. So in the, in the bio, we said that you're a, a teacher an instructor in the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. How long does it take to learn how to do this assessment and, and analyze it and give feedback? So I've been working with the tool for 12 years. I studied under a master Enneagram teacher for almost six. You can go get a certi certification in the Enneagram in three months. It doesn't mean you're good at it, right? Um, and that's some of the problem around the Enneagram as a pop culture tool is it lacks some of the oversight and credentialing. There is a credentialing body. There is an international organization. Just not everybody participates in it. Yeah. Um, and so it took me, um, the, the certification program took me two years. I stayed another four because I felt like I had more to learn. My master teacher was a clinical psychologist. She, she's been working with the Enneagram since 1970. She's brilliant. I wasn't done with her until she was like, go into the world, you know? <laughs> so I would encourage folks who are interested in learning about the Enneagram to go to the International Enneagram Association's website and to find professionals from there. Those are the folks who are choosing to have their work be scrutinized every year and make sure that they are maintaining the educational and the ethical requirements to hold something complex like personal development. Wow. And has the Enneagram changed over the years or is it pretty, pretty steady, the tool? Um, 
it evolves as we evolve. I think probably the thing I'm the most proud of is historically the Enneagram has been a really privileged white centric tool, right? It's, it's predominantly academics or psychologists talking about the construct of personality. And now we're seeing the diversity of the human experience get brought into the conversation around the Enneagram. How does cultural differences, how does race or neurodivergence, how does gender shift what we understand about the tool? And so I think that is so cool because you start to see the welcoming of humanity or complexity in all of these conversations. Yeah. That's going to be years uh, of study and development in that, right? So the, the yeah. test, the, the assessment is probably the same. The questions right now will probably say the same, but it's the interpretation because it yeah. does take in all those external factors, yes. right? Yeah, that's beautiful. That's exactly right. And wow. so I often encourage folks who are starting the typing process, like, okay, I want to know my type. And you go take a test. The best Enneagram test is called the ready. It's one of the only empirically tested its results tend to be about 46% reliable and valid, meaning only 46% of the time can we trust that I'm going to get the the same right answers every time. It doesn't mean that tests are bad. It just means our work is to fill in that other, you know, 54% with our own reflections, our own learning, our own, you know, sort of inner dialogue. Does this fit? Does this not? Right? Um, and so I just really encourage people to be advocates for what feels most true and give yourself permission that it might take some time. Wow. Well, I, like I said, I took the test a couple of years ago. I will probably share that with you offline. So maybe we yeah. can talk about it. To Because like I said, there are parts of it that I read that go, I, I don't know if that's even relative. But then you <laughs> read the rest of it and go, holy Toledo, you know, this is sure. me. Sure. And um, there's probably... The, the the big bucket might be right, right? The, the, the major type, but maybe what we're missing is the subtype, is what version of that type creates the nuance that tells your story more clearly. Interesting. This is fascinating stuff. I love this. <laughs> like I said, there's so many different tests out there. This one I liked because, like I said, it gets down to what what's motivating or causing the reactions mm-hmm. that you have to things. I think that's important. Rather than just typing somebody and say, you're a this Mm-hmm. This kind of goes into maybe why those things are coming Got up. It. And I like that. Yeah. Got it. Very cool. So people want to learn more about this. How can they, how can they do that? How do you have a website that they can go out to? I do. Um, they can visit me at livingtheenneagram.com. Um, that's my website. If they are interested in exploring, that's my services and what I do for people mm-hmm. and teams. But if they're interested in exploring type and the construct of type, I would encourage them to come find me on Instagram. Same, same information, living the Enneagram. I have, I sort of look at my Instagram feed as a place to practice. Okay. Okay. This is what I think I am. So here's the gym where I'm going to work out these things and practice them. But in addition, I have a resource link in my bio that has a YouTube channel, free digital resources. So you think you're a type, you can go watch videos looking at all of these types discussing their lived experiences so that you might be able to figure out which 
works for you. So all of the sort of basic education about the Enneagram lives on my YouTube channel for free. And then I have a bunch of free digital resources, how to type, books I recommend, um, you know, tools to practice presence. If you're ready to learn about yourself and, and apply what you learn, those are some places where you can come practice with me. Excellent. And you are an instructor. Are you currently teaching? Um, not outside of, you know, the work that I do. Okay. I um, decided in the past couple of years to sort of embody the social educator role where I'm putting everything I know and do out online for free. And so if folks don't have the means or the access to, you know, do one-on-one coaching, they can invest the time and the resources in and have what they need. Now, there are people like me who want to hit fast forward and just want someone to take them through it. And I do that too. But I wanted to make this really important work more accessible, right? Like, our, our consciousness, our self-awareness to me is kind of like water. I mean, it's part of what fuels a healthy experience in the world. And so it should be more accessible. Nice. Very cool. Good stuff. So uh, your PhD, when, when will that be done? You think? I am set to defend it next spring. So nice. here we go. <laughs> Very cool. And what's, what's your thesis again? I am looking at the Enneagram as a tool of self-actualization. So using Maslow's hierarchy of needs, does the Enneagram as a tool help primarily female business owners find what they need to move up, you know, the the pyramid of self-actualization? And in doing so, can I create more self-actualized businesses and teams? Excellent. Very cool. Good stuff. (laughs) Well, this is fascinating. Like I said, we could talk about this forever because I, I love this kind of stuff. <laughs> love this kind of stuff. Thank you so much for taking time out to talk with us. Thanks for I really having appreciate me. It. I, I love it. Thank you. Yeah. No, this is great. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. Definitely check out the website. Check out the Enneagram. Like you said, you have links to where they can go and take a test online, right? Um, yes. I have a on, on my Instagram, and I can actually give you a link if that's easier, um, on my Instagram, there's a, a digital shop and you can download a free typing guide. Nice. And it's like a seven page resource with video links and book recommendations and everything you need to sort of slow walk the journey for yourself. Excellent. I may have to check that out. Good stuff. <laughs> All right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking lots of notes. Uh, definitely share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan Singh. So long for now.